Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Hey, y'all. Feeling good? Uh, For those of you that are here for the first time, uh, we've been in really studying, looking at uh, the life of Joseph, Joseph of the Old Testament. Uh, Last week, we took a little break, and we did kids' camp. You didn't know what to say, did you? It was awesome, and and I can't believe we didn't share this with you. I don't think we did, uh, or if we did, I wasn't listening. We had 63 salvations. Oh, come on, y'all can do better than that. 63 salvations. Averaged about 200 kids and had 63 salvations. I think that's amazing. Let me tell you what I think is more amazing. That we know one confirmed we had at least one adult saved. At least one adult. Maybe, maybe four, but at least one adult. I just think that's awesome. Don't you? I do. I think it's incredible. Uh, it, and it, it shows the heart of Springwell, you know, of, of where we are and what we're trying to do. We're trying to just speak into the hearts of people. Uh, it, Allowing God to use us to the best of our ability to be able to speak to people. And it was so, so sweet for me. Because I actually saw this one adult man standing out there. And then one of our staff said, yeah, man. He, he, he asked him, said, mean you out here for your child? And he said, no, I'm out here for me. And I just thought it was amazing. Cool. So, if this is like your first week. We've been looking at uh, Joseph, Joseph of the Old Testament, not Joseph of the New Testament. So let's just do a really quick summary to kind of help those of you that may be kind of lost get caught up. Joseph was one of uh, 12 boys, and he was his daddy's favorite son. He was his daddy's baby boy. And for his brothers, you know what? What started out really kind of being annoying just became unbearable. And so one day they turned on Joseph, they beat him up, threw him in a pit, they beat him up, threw him on the pit, in a pit, and literally just left him there to die. They thought, we don't care, forget you. You know, we'll tell dad a lie. We'll say some wild animal got a hold of you or something, but we don't really care about you. But two of his brothers who had compassion said, oh, no, let's don't kill him. That would be mean. Let's sell him. And so they did. They sold him to uh, a band of slave traders and that were headed toward Egypt. And, and when he was in Egypt, he was bought by the most powerful government, one of the most powerful government officials in Egypt, a guy by the name of Potiphar. Now, as a slave in Potiphar's estate, he had incredible success. In fact, because God blessed him. And, and just, you need to know that. It's not about his talent. It's not about his ability. In fact, what you need to know, in case, again, this is your first week, he was 17 years old when his story started. 17 years old when his story started. And so here's a young punk kid that know a whole lot, and yet God's hand was on him, and everything he touched turned to gold. It was amazing. So he got promotion after promotion after promotion, and things were going really well. And the, and the thing I love about the story is that Potiphar, I don't know really where he was in his whole search for God or knowing God, But one thing he did recognize was that the God that Joseph served was awesome. And he was blessing Joseph. And so he said, I just, I want you around me. Because all the blessings that you get are spilling over onto me. I just think that's kind of cool, don't you? Okay, I guess I'm the only one, but that's all right. 
but because he was well-built and handsome. And all the ladies said, amen. You can do that. That's okay. He was well-built and he was handsome. He was also being pursued by Potiphar's wife. But after he refused her advances, can you imagine a 17-year-old kid? Get this picture in your head. Because, again, sometimes we take the Bible and we just read it. And, and I love, that's why I love doing life with unchurched people is because they make you question things, you know. They bring things to your attention that the average Christian, especially if you were raised in church, you just forget about. You don't even think about. And so you think about this young 17-year-old kid who's being propositioned by a very beautiful, very rich, very powerful woman. And rather than, you know, giving in to the temptation, a 17-year-old kid, like his testosterone is at its peak. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, we're way up here. I mean, he's on the inside. He's really cranking, if you get my drift. And so rather than giving in, he, he refuses her, and then she accuses him of assault. So he's arrested and, arrested and he's thrown into prison. So the story picks up this week in Genesis 40 with Joseph being in prison. Now, there's a lot of scripture here. I'm going to read chunks and summarize chunks, okay? So let's get started. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put him in custody in the captain in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. So Pharaoh gets ticked at his, two of his like high official boys and he gets really ticked at them. I don't know what they were doing, but they weren't doing things right. Evidently, I don't know if the baker couldn't bake a cake. I don't know what the deal was, but he had them thrown into prison and Joseph is asked to take care of them. So long story short, both of these guys have these dreams, and, and especially back in the day. How many of you ever had, y'all dream, how many did you dream last night? Raise your hand. If you had a dream last night, raise your hand. How many of you are not sure if you had a dream last night or not? <laughs> That's, I wake up every morning, I know I dreamed all night long, but I can't, it's very seldom I remember any of my dreams. Anybody else like that? Yeah, I mean, I know I dream, I dream crazy stuff. I mean, I dream the weirdest stuff. Y'all, anybody else dream weird stuff? You know what that means? We're weird. That's what that means. Aren't you excited? So anyway, these dreams, they knew that these guys, both these guys knew that they had, you know, they had meaning. This, there was something important about the dream, but they didn't really have any way to interpret the dreams. So they pray, and then God gives Joseph the interpretation of both of these dreams. And the bottom line is the cupbearer was restored, and he was set free from prison, and, and the baker was executed. I bet the baker's thinking, you know, I wish I hadn't asked for that interpretation. You know what? Interpretation's not all that it's cracked up to be. I mean, if you have a dream and you think it's going to be a really good outcome, yay! Give me an interpretation. The moral of the story is, if you have a really, really bad dream, don't ask anybody what that means. You know, just kind of go through life thinking, ah, oh, it, it was just pizza. It was just bad pizza the night before. So anyway, Joseph's only request from the cupbearer was for him to remember him. He said, look, like, I've done this thing for you, and this thing's worked out really, really well for you. And so, like, when you're on the outside, what I want you to do is I want you to remember me. I want you to remember what I did for you. I want you to remember the interpretation and how things turns out. But wouldn't you know, because if you've been along with the story at all, you know that the story of Joseph is nothing but just one big roller coaster, right? I mean, he's his, you know, daddy's favorite boy, and, 
and then his brothers hate him, and, and, but then he's thrown into a pit, but then he's, he's brought to Egypt, but he's a slave, but at least he's a slave of a very rich man who obviously treats him well, and he's really, really blessed, but then his wife accuses him, accuses him of assault, and then he's thrown in prison, but then he's in prison, now he interprets some dreams, and you think things are going to look up. Two years passed, and he totally forgets, and you think, dude, the man just can't catch a break. I mean, the brother just can't catch a break at all. So we know that he sits in prison for at least two more years. Let's jump into Genesis 41. When two full years passed, then Pharaoh has a dream. How about that? So two years passed, and old Pharaoh actually has two dreams. Verse 8 says like this. He says, in the morning, his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and all the wise men of Egypt Pharaoh told him his dreams, but no one could interpret those dreams for him. So, so finally, the, the, the cupbearer finally says, oh, yeah, wait a minute. I remember, like, when I was in prison, I remember there was this guy. Now, what was his name again? Uh, there was a guy, like, you know, how could he forget that guy, you know? I remember there was this guy, named, his name was Joseph. And, I, and Joseph, what I do remember was there were actually two of us that had dreams. And exactly what he said came true. I mean, his interpretation was pure. And so I just think probably, you know, a really good idea would be if you were to go and ask him to kind of, you know, check out your dream and maybe give you an interpretation of your dream. And I bet you don't even have to be new to church to kind of know where the story's going, right? You feel the music in the story change, don't you? Don't you? So you think, good things are coming. Yay! I mean, I know that he was... no, he was the favorite son. He was in a pit. Then he was in, then he was in prison. You know, then he was in a palace. Then he was in prison. You know things are going to get better at this point, right? So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. So Pharaoh tells Joseph his dreams, and Joseph gives him the interpretation. Verse 29, seven years of abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. Now, that had to be the good part of the dream, and you just can't wait, like if you're Joseph, to say, let me just tell you, Pharaoh's seven really good years are coming. I mean, you're going to be the man. You know, you're the man. Everybody's going to know you're the man. We're going to be, you know, the man's people. I mean, things are going to be really, really good, you know, for seven years. But seven years of famine will will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten. And this famine is going to be so bad that it's literally going to ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows, it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. He'll do it very soon. It's the interpretation. And now let, now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man. <laughs> I just can't help it. I just think maybe he was leaning in. Maybe he stuck his chest out. Maybe, maybe he was, I don't know, maybe he was posed or something. Now what you need to do is thinking of a very wise, a very discerning man. Oh, wise Pharaoh. in charge of the land of Egypt. Now drop down to verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, well, I bet you're the man. I mean, like you are the man. You're the interpretation man. Since God made all this known to you, there's no one discerning, so discerning and as wise as you. You shall be put in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne. You've got this. Only will in respect to the throne, will I be greater than you? This is the craziest story. I'm not kidding you. 
I know that those of you have been brought up in church your whole life because it's the story of Joseph. But it's a crazy story. It's a story filled of, with ups and downs. I mean, this, this is huge. Now he's, he goes from the prison back to the palace, but this time he doesn't go to the palace as a slave. He goes to the second in charge. I mean, he's the man. Remember his dreams? Everything that he dreamed. The dreams, the two dreams that God gave him are all coming true. It's crazy. He went from being the favorite son to a hated brother, thrown into a pit, then sold into slavery. Then he goes from the pit to the palace as a slave. But he's in the palace, no less. That's got to be a good thing. But then he's thrown in prison for at least two years. Now he's back in the palace in a place of leadership. And here's the thing. You definitely get the idea. As you're reading this story, the thing that almost is a little bit unsettling, if you're just gut level honest. Now, for those of you who've been in church your whole life, you probably don't think this way. But really, if you've been reading the story, you kind of get the picture that God's hand's been on the whole thing. And honestly, <laughs> that's probably not what a lot of us want to hear, right? Like, so God's hand was like on the whole roller coaster thing? Yeah. Now, I'm not saying, please don't misunderstand me. I didn't say that God caused all of the bad stuff that happened. I'm not saying that. But God certainly allowed it. And as soon as I say the word, he allowed it, we're like, you know, so God's all-powerful, right? I love talking to unchurched people. They go, well, if God's all-powerful, then he could have stopped it. You're right, he could have. He didn't cause it, but he allowed it. Well, then he's a mean God, right? I know we're in church this is Sunday morning, and no, he's good. If you're reading the story with fresh eyes at this point, you got to say, well, I know things are finally working out, but wow. And I think the obvious question is, why would God do such a thing? I have no idea. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came today? Actually, I do have some ideas. We'll look at it in just a minute. But I do have a verse for you right now. This is a verse that I literally read every single day. And I probably should, if you've you know, been around Springwell for a while, you go, oh. Here we go again. One of those like five verses that you read every morning. Yeah, it's important for me. Here's what it says, Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. The depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are your judgments? Who in this world could possibly Know the mind of God. Why do I read that? I read it because life's not fair. It's not been fair for me. I'm sure it hasn't been fair for you. And some, sometimes what I need to be reminded of is that God is large and in charge. And, and it's good for me to be reminded that God is too big for me to figure out. Now, he gives, us the, he gives us his word, and there's a lot of the attributes and characteristics of God that we absolutely can figure out, that we can get, that we can lean into and say, this is God, this is God, and this is God. But listen to me, you will never figure him out. And quite honestly, I don't, I don't, think, I, I don't ever want to even think or believe that I could. I want to serve a God that is so much bigger than my little pea brain can figure out. He's large and in charge. He's huge. So can any of you relate to... Joseph's story at all? Maybe your, your life has felt somewhat like a roller coaster. 
And if we're just gut level honest, for those of us that are following Jesus, if you follow him long enough, and if you go through life in the real world long enough, and you have those roller coasters of ups and downs, and you're up here, and you've just been blessed, and things are looking so good, but then all of a sudden, from out of nowhere, it's, you can't figure it out, then suddenly you just hit bottom, right? And when you hit bottom, if you were raised like I was, then it's got to be sin, right? And you, you, it's my fault. It's my fault. So I've got sin in my life. And, then, and so then you try to figure that out, and you try to repent and get right. But then, then there's times when you think, I don't even know what I did wrong. I mean, I'm not sinning any more today than I was yesterday. Hello, anybody else in the room ever had that thought? I mean, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm not, I'm not like sinning more today. What happened? And it's a struggle, isn't it? It's a struggle. And, and sometimes, you know, when, when we're struggling and we're wobbling in our spiritual walk, our faith is just weak. I've been there. I got all, I got T-shirts in all sizes. I've been on the bottom where nobody believed in me. I know what that feels like. I've been on the very bottom where nobody believed in me, not a single person on the outside that I thought was important. Why is it that way? We seek approval and we want things from people that, let's just be honest, we're not even sure we like them sometimes. But somehow they're a person of prominence. Now my family, my family's believed in me. It's, it's, that's been amazing. I've had a wife who's always stood beside me and believed in me when honestly I have no, no earthly idea why she would. Two kids that I've been blessed with. My children were a gift from God. And one of the reasons that I believe that is because they've always been there to believe in their dad. It's amazing to me. I love having my girls around me. It's good for my self-esteem to have my kids around me. So when other people would, you know, maybe put me down, say something, my girls would say, Dad, you're stupid. I go, you're right. You're smart girls. Just like your mother. I know what it's like to be on the bottom when nobody believed in me but my family and a few good friends. And then almost, I know what it feels like to almost be at the top. To be, almost be able to see the top of the mountain. And then I know what it's like to go all the way to the bottom again. The bottom. When you are for sure you're going to lose everything you've got. And let me tell you this. And this is going to be weird. But through it all, I've learned at least two things. Through it all, I've learned at least two things. And the first one, and this is not going to make sense. If you're like in the middle of this right now, it's not going to make sense to you. But the thing I'm more convinced of today than ever before is that God loves me. You think, whoa, how is that? Because the, the dark times made me, it forced me to think through my theology. Of what I really believe. And on the other side, I emerge with this incredible feeling of, of truth. The truth that God loves me no matter what. And that what Jesus did on the cross was he paid the penalty for all my sin. It's done. It's taken care of. All my sin. Come on now. That, that ought to crank somebody's tractor. And, this, and I tell you the second thing. Here's the weird thing. The second thing is this. And you, again, you're not going to believe this, but it's the truth. The second thing I've learned is that God's faithful. If I hadn't been on the bottom, I would never understand the faithfulness of God. I would never understand the love of God like I do. So Joseph was in a literal prison. What kind of prison are you living in? 
maybe it's a bad relationship. Maybe it's a bad relationship and honestly you just feel trapped and you don't know what to do. Maybe you've been praying about it. Maybe you've been thinking about it. Maybe you've been seeking the counsel of others and you've been going through this thing and you go, I don't, I'm in a prison. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm trapped. I don't know how to get out. I don't know if I should get out. I don't know if it's God's will that I get out. Hello, anybody? Is it God's will that I stay or God's will that I go? And you're trying to figure all that out and you just feel trapped. You feel like you're in a prison. How about debt? That's a really easy one. How about debt? That can certainly feel like a prison. That's why I hate it so much. That's why I'm doing everything I can to try to lead us as a church to get out of debt because I know what that feels like. I know how nasty it is. I know how it can pull you down. I know how you can feel like you're locked inside of a prison and there's no freedom at all because of debt. Maybe it's a job. You hate your job, but you don't see any way out. You hate your job. You hate the thought of Monday. In fact, you hate, the, you hate the thought of Monday so bad that you go ahead and start on Sunday morning getting depressed. You wake up Sunday morning and go, oh, 24 more hours. That's all I got. You look at your watch and say, I'm down to 12. You wake up in the middle of the night, oh, Lord, I've only got another hour of sleep. Then I got to go to that place where the devil lives. It's awful. Maybe at school. I wrote this. I literally, I said, if you're under 18, maybe at school. And I thought, what do you know when you're 17 about hating school? Really? Like if you're 25, like I was, and still in college, hello, talk to me. You know, come on. It took me seven years to get my four-year degree. I'm a little slow. And then I went on to seminary. I'm like, I'm 30 years old before I finally get all my education. You know, finally I get that master's degree. I mean, it felt like a prison. That's what I felt like it was. It was a prison. My life was never going to stop, start until after I got out of school. Maybe for you, gosh, I didn't know if I was going to say this or not. I, maybe for you it's your weight. You feel trapped. You've been on every kind of diet you know of. You've listened to every guru. You've bought stuff off the internet. Let's just be honest. There's a lot of stuff you ain't even told people about. I'm that guy. I'm just going to thank you. I'm not the only one. And the rest of y'all, somebody's buying that crazy stuff. Have you not bought it? Have you you not give in to the exercise thing, the diet thing, the pill? I mean, if they could make a pill that would help you lose weight, I wouldn't weigh 100 pounds right now. I'm just telling you. And you feel trapped. You feel like you're in a prison. And nobody even knows who the real you really is. Maybe it's a house. You're underwater with your mortgage. And even if you wanted to sell it, you couldn't. It'd be financially disastrous. Maybe it's a car that you can't pay for. But you're upside down in. So here's the question. What could God be up to? through the prison that you're in right now, through all the ups and downs of life, what is it that God could possibly be up to? Well, there's a couple things I think we can learn from the life of Joseph. There's probably more that I can only really find too. But there's two things that I'm pretty sure, I'm confident that we can learn from his life. First of all, God matured Joseph with 
compassion. He matured him with compassion. When we first met Joseph, I wouldn't say that he was very high on the compassion scale, would you? I mean, he's 17, if nothing, he was just dumb as a rock, but it was, it was beyond that. It really was. I mean, he was his father's favorite son. You know, everybody knew it. All of his brothers knew it. His dad made sure everybody knew it. He had the little special robe that basically said, hey, brothers, you'll work in the field shoveling poo for the rest of your life, and I'll be in the house with dad. Laid back in the lazy boy, watching TV. And so the thing of it is, he, and so he kind of, you remember, and so his dad sends him out in the field, said, go, go out there and see how your brothers are doing. And he brings back a bad report. You remember that? So he's a snitch, and it, it's kind of like he enjoyed it. And then he had those two dreams. Remember those two dreams? And so he t- it's like he can't wait to tell his brothers. Guess what, brothers? One day I'm going to be your master, and you will literally be bowing down at my feet. I mean, it would tend to make you a little self-centered, maybe a little narcissistic. And if he didn't take pleasure in it, and I, I don't know, I, the language really doesn't you know, give us an indication of whether he took pleasure in sharing what he shared. But at the very least, we, we know that he wasn't very sensitive. I mean, that's just not a smart thing to do. He just didn't have the ability to put himself in the shoes of other people. He had no compassion. None. But God's been working on him. When you get to chapter 40, it's evident. Verse 6, when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw... He saw that they were dejected. In in other words, there was this thing in him. God had been maturing him. And now, for the first time, when he looked into the eyes of his brothers, he wasn't able to see their anger, their their bitterness, their confusion. He completely missed it. But suddenly now, God has him to a place where he's looking into the eyes of somebody else. And he says, you know what? I can see that you're dejected. And so he asked a question. Why do you look so sad today? So why the change? Why the sensitivity? Why the compassion? Because God uses our suffering to make us sensitive to the sufferings of others. It actually can give you eyes to see people that are around you that are hurting that nobody else can see. I know that's what my pain's done for me. If you've been through loneliness, then you'll start to notice and care for the people that are lonely. If you've ever been there, then you'll know what that's like. So I have to confess to you, I know what it's like to to be lonely. I know what it's like to be underappreciated. I know what it's like to be a wallflower and just kind of blend in. I know what that feels like. So you have to understand, I've pushed for years and years and years and years and years. And in this church, one of the things that we want to do, we want to do it well, is that we want to love people well. When you pull onto the parking lot of this church, we want you to feel like that that we care that you're here. So when you, when you walk onto the patio, there's people to greet you, that the signs that say that you matter, that we care about you, that when you walk through the door, that we try our best. We're not perfect, but we try to make sure that we greet you, that there's not a single person here. You know, one of the things I love about Jonathan, and I tell people this all the time, one of the reasons that I believe in that man as much as I do is because I love to watch who he talks to. 
And you would think that as a pastor, he wants to find out, like, you know, in the room, he wants to size, okay, who's, who's got the most money? Come on, I mean, I'm a pastor. I know a few of us. I'm just saying, you're thinking it, I said it, right? And so we want to kind of suck up to the people that have the, the big bucks, you know? And you know what I love about him? Is that I, I often will find him seeking out that person in the room who has nothing to give. Nothing. They can't serve, they don't have any money. I don't know his story, but I know that's him. If you've been through cancer, you'll see people that are going through chemo. You'll, you'll recognize it before anybody else will. And you'll get it. And you just want to talk to them. You just want to pray with them. You'll just want to encourage them just a little bit. You'll want to tell them about your journey and there's better days coming. If you've gone through a job loss or divorce or heartbreak or a wayward child or the loss of a child, you know what? You will want to reach out. Send them a card. You'll just want to let them know that you've been there too. You know how it feels. And through his prison experience, God was turning Joseph's eyes, eyes away from himself. And, and maybe, maybe for the first time in his life, maybe, maybe he's in prison. Maybe he thought, you know what? This is never going to happen. Those dreams were, they were that. They were just dreams. They were, I thought they were from God. Maybe they weren't from God at all. I mean, literally, I'm in prison. But all of this pain, I've looked at, I've seen the injustice of it all. I know what it's like to unjustly, to unjustly be imprisoned. And I see these two guys, and he had compassion. He saw something when he looked at them. He was becoming a great leader, and great leaders care more about others than they do about themselves. The second thing that God used, the prison to produce in Joseph was <laughs> I think I don't really like to talk about it's a nasty word it just is patience how many of you ever prayed for patience how many of you prayed for patience one time and said I'm never doing that again thank you who enjoys being patient my wife I know Karen we're here she, that's the most patient woman you've ever met in all your life I mean she married me she has to be patient Joseph says in verse 14 of chapter 40, he says, But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off to the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in prison. I mean, he recognizes the injustice of his situation, and he hopes that this cupbearer is, is his way out. But he forgets about it. I don't know how he forgets about him, but he forgets about him. And that's the way life is. We just move on. The greatest gifts, the, the biggest miracles in our lives, it seems like they're just short-lived for us. And we move on to bigger and better things. And, and so the guy completely forgets about Joseph. And then it says at the beginning of chapter 41 that two years passed before he's called on to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. Two years. Now here's the big picture. If you remember week one, one of the things I told you, how old was Joseph when his story started in Genesis 37? Anybody remember? 17. He's, seven, he's, he's 17 years old. And it says in chapter 41 that when he was made Pharaoh's right-hand man, he was 30 years old. 13 years passed since his brothers threw him in the pit. 
And as soon as I read that, you know what I thought? I hope I learned to be patient a whole lot quicker than he did. But you know what? I haven't. And I would probably say now, and people that know me well would probably say, you're a very patient man. But I haven't always been. Where did I learn to be patient? Because I know that God's faithful. I told you. See, God's already proven himself. He's faithful. He's convinced me that he loves me. I know that he's faithful. And I know that maybe not now, maybe not tomorrow or next week, but I know that God is going to be faithful to what he's promised. This is a photo of the actual cell that Nelson Mandela lived in for 18, 18 of his 27 years in South Africa. 27 years he was in prison. 27 years. And the day that he got out in 1990, he immediately took up leadership of the cause against apartheid, which denied black, black folks their equal rights in South Africa. And finally, in 1994, four years later, the country had free elections and Mandela was elected as president. You following that? Is that sinking in at all? After 27 years in prison and four more years of preparation, finally he got the call, he finally got the answer to the call to be the leader that God had prepared him to be. 31 years of waiting on a call to be fulfilled. I'm looking around this room this morning and some of y'all ain't even 31 years old. This whole COVID-19 has put us all in a prison of sorts, hasn't it? It's been a few months and I say we because I hope I'm not the only one. You find yourself whining sometimes? When is this ever going to end? People think they have the answer. To when it's going to end, right? So let me ask you this question. Has God been teaching you patience? Have you been trying to teach you how to be compassionate? Could it be that the reason that you've been broken is so that you can feel the pain of the broken? Has it been, has it happened in such a way as that when you look into the eyes of someone else that you'll be able to see their pain? Other people just, just pass them by all day, every day. No one ever stops to talk to them. No one ever gives them the time of day. But because you've been where you are, you, you recognize, you know what that looks like. You, you know, the position of a body. Shoulders slumped. You see things that other people can't see. So as a follower of Jesus, how have you been doing through the inevitable ups and downs of life? They are coming. I promise you they're coming. If you're not there already. And we certainly hope that they don't last as long as they did for Joseph or Nelson Mandela, but they're coming. So what have you been learning? Or have you been learning from or fighting against the difficulty?
So let me ask you this question. And it's okay, I'm not fussing at you because nobody's whined or fussed more than me over the years. Are you any better than Joseph? Just a few questions to kind of think through. If you've not really been fair and well, and this is this is a safe place. It's it's a we're not here to beat you over the head and tell you how sorry you are. It's just to say, if God's been speaking to you and you would say, you know what, I've been going through some junk and I'm sorry, I haven't been doing real well. Could you just pray for me? If you'd slip up your hand, I'd be honored to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. That's one of the things I love about this church is people can just, and nobody's here to beat you up. Lord, I, I want to just pray for those that just slipped up their hand, God, that just going through some stuff and they just admit it. They're just not faring well. They don't know what to do. Lord, I remember days. <laughs> Lord, I remember in seminary I'd like to think you forgot about those days, Lord, and I was so angry. Walking out in the middle of a cemetery, throwing rocks, cussing you. But you were so patient. You could have zapped me with a bolt of lightning. <clears throat> I was already in the cemetery. It wouldn't have been a big deal. But you didn't. And Lord, you've taught me. Me those two valuable lessons, Lord, things that I can lean into and trust in. Is it I'm absolutely convinced that you love me. So, Lord, right now, just speak to these folks and just tell them that you love them. <clears throat> I know for me, God, I, that was one of the things that literally has set me free. And then, God, show them through your word that you've always been faithful. And Lord, if nothing else, that they can look at the life of Joseph, who had to wait a long time, but you were faithful to fulfill the dream that you gave him. Lean into their lives, Lord. Speak to them. Give them hope. <clears throat> Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, and the reason that you're here this morning is because you're just worn out from life. And maybe you realize this morning that, that maybe, just maybe, God's been using all of those difficult days to humble you and to bring you to Him. Maybe to bring you to a place where, you know what, you just recognize you don't have life figured out. your way is not really working if that's you <clears throat> and you're ready to fully surrender your life to Jesus then maybe you'd pray a prayer something like this just quietly silently right there in your seat maybe you'd just say something like this Heavenly Father my life is a mess it's a broken mess and I'm asking you to step into the mess I need you to take control of it and make sense of it all. To help me with that. But mostly, I'm just telling you that my way it just hasn't worked. So I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you to be my Savior. Because I do believe that you are the Son of God. And that Jesus, you did die on the cross. And on the cross, you shed your blood to pay the penalty for my sin. You've proven your great love for me. And I believe you're alive. And I need that life 
in me. Thank you for your love. Lord, you are amazing, Lord. Thank you for, I love your word, Lord. I just love it so much. It's just filled with just incredible stories. I think I grew up just hearing heroes kinds of stories, Lord, and I didn't see the ups and downs of life. One of the great, great patriarchs of the Bible, a man named Joseph. Wow. Life that was just really filled with a lot of ups and downs. But you were faithful. And that gives me hope. And it encourages me. So Lord, we just want to tell you that we love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in your sweet name that we pray.